Amen. Amen. It's already been an amazing Sunday so far. Right, church? Yeah, it's great. I want you to grab your Bible and turn to Leviticus chapter 19. And as you're doing that, say to the person on your right, uh-oh. We're going Old Testament today. I love Compassion International. Because we realized early on at Bayou City Fellowship that we couldn't be great at everything. As much as we would like to be great at everything, God has only made us great at a few things instead of trying to to accomplish a lot of things. Let's just be really amazing at what God has put in front of us. And let's find who God is using around the world and partner with them and resource them so that they can do what God has called them to do. And so we have amazing partners that are doing incredible ministry here in our city and around the world. And Compassion is one of those partners. And we specifically have a partnership uh, based in El Salvador through Compassion. We have a church there that we partner with, that a, a Compassion project is under the umbrella of that church, as has already been mentioned today. And so on Monday, I got on a plane with my eight-year-old son Jackson to go down to El Salvador and visit our Compassion project and see them and get to know them. It was an amazing time. They're so warm and friendly. And, and Jackson, little Jackson, he's, he's uh, never been hugged so many times in his life. And, uh, he didn't know what to do about it at first, but uh, he, he eventually warmed up to him. And he's the most popular person in El Salvador this Sunday. Uh, he was a huge, huge celebrity down there. Everyone was enamored with him, and, and they're having an election right now. And so I thought about actually having him run uh, for uh, president. And we had a, an amazing time, and um, they were so eager to show off all that God is doing among them. And, and so they were walking us through everything that they do there at this Compassion Project just outside of San Salvador. And I walked into the project facilitator. She's kind of the person in charge of uh, the ministry really taking place uh, into her office. And she had this huge wall of filing cabinets. And inside of the filing cabinets are hundreds and hundreds of, of files uh, that represent the over 300, almost 400 kids that are sponsored there at this local project site. 79,000 in all of El Salvador, o- over a million around the world are sponsored through Compassion International. And so they had their folders out. They had three folders out for me to see. They were all decorated very nicely and had pictures on them. And, and so they start handing me these folders and the interpreter is kind of telling me what they're saying and, and they want me to flip through them. And so I flip through them and it, it, it's a folder of one of the Compassion children and it's got uh, the medical records. Every time they go to the doctor, a copy gets put in their Compassion folder. Every time uh, that they get a progress report or a report card or a note home from school, a copy of it goes into their folder. Anytime Compassion visit their home, uh, it, record, it records everything that they have and what they need. Uh, just their whole life is in this folder. And, and I, I got to a part that I, actually, I could actually read. All of it was in Spanish except for this one part. It was a, a letter from their sponsor. And as has already been mentioned in this letter that I was reading uh, this week, it says, I believe in you. I love you. God loves you. God has a future for you. It was just so amazing. I got down to the bottom and I read who it was from. And I'm like, holy cow, I know them. They go to church with me, and so I'm telling them, you know, like, I know these people. This is unbelievable. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's great. And then they hand me, they hand me the, the next folder, and the same thing, medical records, educational records, just everything about this child's life represented in this folder. And then there's another sponsor letter in it from a different sponsor. I read it. Same thing. God loves you. God believes in you. Here's what life is like in America for us. Ask a few questions to them. I get down to the bottom. I read the names. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know these people, too. I go to church with these people. This is so amazing. And, you know, I know that I'm a moron here in America, but I didn't know I could also be one in El Salvador. 
because I don't speak Spanish, but I could tell in her face, because I have good discernment skills, like, you're just not the brightest guy on earth. And what they say to me through the interpreter is almost all of these children at this project are sponsored by people in your church. File cabinets full of letters saying, we love you. From Houston, Texas, we love you. We believe in you. God's got a future for you. It was unbelievable. And they took us into some of their homes. And, and you see the extreme poverty that they live in. Because compassion specializes and emphasizes the poorest of the poor. Many of the people that our children are, are, are sponsored through Bayou City Fellowship, those children's families make and live on less than a dollar a day. Some of you make more in one hour than their family will make this entire year. But it wasn't the poverty that I was, was moved by. It was the poverty in light of the powerful work of God through this local church and Compassion International. You ever had one of those moments where you're so stirred up that you're like, take all of my money. Take it all. Nothing that I'm doing in my life is as important as this. You ever have one of those moments? That's the way I felt there. But then I came home. Came home on Wednesday. And I'm driving in my car around Houston, get to a stoplight. Who's at the stoplight? Almost every stoplight, it seems like, is somebody there asking for money. Whether it's somebody with a sign saying, I'm homeless, I'm out of luck, here's my story. Or it's some of those people that are handing you the water bottles trying to raise uh, money for mystery organizations. And I felt in my heart like, no, you know, I don't know what the story is. I don't know how they ended up there. What if some, something's, you know, so what's the story? I don't know the story. And I was amazed by the fact that on one day I could feel like take all of my resources, use all of them. And then within less than 24 hours, I was like, you can have none of them. And you feel this tension, I would guess. Sometimes you have the urge to be generous and sometimes you have the urge to not be generous. And it's very complicated to know who should we be generous with, when should we be generous, how should we be generous. And what we're going to see from the scripture today is going to take a lot of pressure off of us, I think, because I think what you're going to realize today is you are not responsible. There are people in this world who are worse off than you. You may be like, nobody's worse off than you. Nobody, I'm poor. I'm super poor. Well, you're not the poorest of the poor. There's somebody in this world who looks at your life and says, I wish I had their resources. You're like, well, I don't have a retirement account. But there is someone in this world who looks at your non-retirement account, the fact that you have any money in your bank account, and they go, I wish that I had that. There's some college student in here who's got $24 to their name. And there's somebody in the world who would look at that bank account and say, I wish I had $24 in a bank somewhere. Somebody around the world is looking up at all of us but the pressure is off of us today. We're not responsible for them. We're not responsible for saving anybody. We're not responsible for rescuing anybody. We're not, we're not responsible for lifting somebody up on our shoulders. You are not responsible. But you do have a responsibility. No pressure on you to save anybody. To fix somebody. You're not responsible. But you do have a responsibility. Look at what it says in Leviticus chapter 19. We're jumping right into the middle of the Old Testament law that God is giving his people, the Israelites. And this is what it says in verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. 
And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God has given the Israelites this command when they end up in the promised land. They're going to have fields and they're going to plant seeds and they're going to have a harvest that's going to come from this field. And as they harvest it, they're free to harvest everything except for right along the edges. They're supposed to leave the edges so that the poor among them can come and harvest the edges. It also talks about the gleanings. Those are the things that fall to the ground as the harvest is being taken in. You're not able to pick up 100% of everything and what it's telling these landowners and these people. uh, You know, when you bring your harvest to the storehouse... Don't go back out to the field to pick up every little thing. Leave it for the poor among you. We see this principle, this law played out in the book of Ruth. Ruth is actually a young widow and part of her story is she goes out into a field that was not her own to pick up the gleanings, to pick up what was left after the harvest that somebody else had reaped. In the New Testament, we see the principle of this. Right away in the beginning of Acts, the New Testament church is obsessed with widows and making sure that the widows are well taken care of. There's a thread running through all of the Apostle Paul's writings. He's taking up a collection for uh, those who are afflicted with a famine back in Jerusalem. And so he's asking the churches of Asia Minor, he's asking the church of Rome to contribute, to make an offering so that he can take it back to those who are suffering in and around Jerusalem who are, who are hungry. See, the reality, though, is you and I don't need to be convinced to give. We wish we could be generous, but for many of us, there's, there's something holding us back. But I think it is important to, to say right here that giving to the poor, providing for the poor, is not the highest priority. It's not the highest calling. Jesus himself is the one who says this. The story is recorded multiple times in the Gospels. Jesus is in a living room. His disciples are around him. Some friends are around him. And a woman walks in. She's got this jar of perfume. It's sealed. It's very, very valuable perfume. In fact, it costs a year's worth of wages. So I don't know how much money you make in a year, but imagine spending that on one thing and in one moment using all of it. That's what she does. She breaks this bottle of perfume and anoints Jesus right there in the living room. Well, the disciples, they're, they're all bothered by this, and they start causing a ruckus. And what are you doing? We could, we could sell that, they say. We could sell that and give that to the poor. And Jesus corrects them. He says, you'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me among you, meaning there is a higher priority than giving to the poor, and that priority is Jesus. You being committed to Jesus, you having faith in Jesus, is the highest priority in this world. But what you need to understand about Jesus is the poor were a very important part of his calling. He quotes a scripture in Luke chapter 4. What does it say? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to who? The poor. So if you have a heart for Jesus, the highest priority, you will have a heart for the poor. So if there's any among us today who hear these stories, who see the need, and you are unmoved, You're not just unmoved by the poor. I would say that you're not moved by Jesus. Because to be committed to Jesus is an overflow commitment to the poor among us and around the world. But as I mentioned, it's not willingness that's holding us up. 
it's we just feel like maybe one day we will be in a position where we can be generous, but it's not in this day. There's a lot of myths out there. I want, to, I want, to, I want you to see three myths about generosity. And if you were going to pull something out and write something down, this would be the time to do it. And this is the moment if you didn't bring anything to write down with it, you feel bad about that. So um, myth number one, I need 100% of what I have. I need 100% of what I have. That's what many of us are saying today. Man, I would sponsor a child through Compassion International. I would give to the church. I would, I would be more generous. I would help people, but I just don't have the ability to do it. I need all of the money that I make. But that's not true. And God doesn't even give us that out in the scripture. He doesn't say... If you just have a yard, a one-acre field, don't worry about leaving the margins. Just harvest 100%. If you have five acres, then you are responsible for leaving this big of margin. If you have 10 acres, then you leave a little bit bigger margin. He doesn't qualify it like that. It's like, do you have a harvest? Do you have a field? Then you leave room around the edges for the poor to be provided for. In fact, God did not create you to use 100% of what you have. He didn't create you to need 100% of everything you have. You know where I know that and where we get the proof of that? Creation. God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And he handed that rest down to us as a Sabbath to remind us what? That we don't need 100% of the week to work. So that we can have income. We can take a day off to rest and trust God to be our provider. He didn't make you to need 100% of all that you have. He has provided inside of your life, inside of the makeup of who you are, to leave edges and margin around your life so that the poor can be provided for. Myth number two, I need money, I need more money to be generous. Well, I want to be generous, but I need more money. I can't be generous with what I have. If I had more, I could be more generous. But that's not true. We see that in the scripture. Uh, I shared the story about a month ago. Jesus is teaching in the temple. People are giving their offerings. A widow comes in. She has just two mites, which is equivalent to us, about two pennies. She puts them in the offering plate. Jesus says she's the one who's generous because she gave all that she had. The widow didn't say, which would be common sense to us, I only have two pennies. I should keep this for myself. That's what common sense would tell us. But she was generous. She didn't wait until she had more. Because here's the reality. The reality is that generosity is a position of your heart, not the position of your bank account. If you are waiting to have more money to be generous, you won't be generous when you have more money. You know why? Because we are amazing at finding excuses to spend our money. Amanda and I lived in a one-bedroom apartment when we got married because she had a job and I was homeless. And the job, I contributed very little to our marriage. It's a wonder she stayed with me. Thank God's grace. But eventually I got a job and then we moved out of the apartment. 
Why? Because that's what you do. When you make more money, you spend more money. So if you are waiting until you have more money to be generous, you will never be generous because when you have more money, you will spend more money. And that's fine. That's fine. But you can create margin right now with what you have because generosity is a position of your heart and not a bank not your bank account. Number three, myth number three, Jesus was poor. He wants me to be poor. Or Jesus is rich, so he wants me to be rich. That myth, those, both of those myths are believed in Houston, Texas right now. Probably in this room, we believe these things. Some of us believe Jesus is poor, Jesus didn't have anything, so he doesn't want me to have anything, and I need to feel bad if I have something. Others of us on the opposite end of the spectrum. Jesus is rich. He's the son of God. lives in heaven. Gold streets. I mean, you can't get any richer than that. And so he wants me to pursue those kinds of riches. What does the scripture say? God doesn't look on the outside. God is not checking your bank account to see who you are and define you. He looks on the heart. What he is concerned with is something entirely different. Because these myths are all about who does God favor? Who is God's favorite? Wouldn't we like to know? God, who do you love more than other people? I know you say you love everybody equally, but that's not really true. You know, maybe you love us all, but who do you prefer the most? Who does God favor? Does God favor the poor because they're poor? Does God favor the rich because they're rich? And the proof of that favor is their riches. Well, scripture, scripture tells us something entirely different. Like in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, if you want God's strong support, if you want his favor, then have a heart that's completely devoted to him. That's the person who has God's favor. James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want God's favor on your life? It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Be humble. If you are prideful and rich, God opposes you. If you are poor and prideful, God opposes you. If you are rich and humble, God gives you grace and favor. If you are poor and humble, God gives you grace and favor. So don't worry about whether you're poor or you're rich. Just harvest the field that God has given you. Some of you show up to work and people give you very large paychecks. Praise God for that. Harvest your field. Use your money. But leave a margin around the edge so that your blessing overflows to the poor. Some of you show up at work and you work very hard, just as hard as the person sitting next to you, but for some reason your paycheck is very small. Harvest the field that God has given you and leave room around the edge so that what God has blessed you with, although it's not as large as someone else can overflow to the poor because there's no shame in following Jesus. So if you're poor today and you have very little, you hold your head up high, there's no shame. And if you are rich, hold your head up high. Be humble. There is no shame. God's favor is on those who believe. I love the secret power of the story of the Good Samaritan. The secret 
oomph to that story. I mean, you, you're familiar with that story, even if this is your first time in church. Jesus told it. It's a parable about a Jewish man walking along the side of the road. He's on a trip from one town to the other, and these robbers come, just beat him to death, literally to death. He's laying there dying on the side of the road, stripped and naked, and two religious people come by, and they ignore him because that's what religious people do. And then this Samaritan comes by, who should have been an enemy to this man, but he's moved with compassion. And so he picks this guy up, bandages his wounds, puts him on his horse or donkey, and walks him into the next town. And we know that part, and that's the, that's the part that we connect with. We should help people and all that. But I think that's a no-brainer. I mean, honestly, I'm going to give us all credit today. I think all of us, if we saw somebody on the side of the road today stripped, bleeding, and dying, and you were driving by, I'm giving us all the benefit of the doubt. I think that we would pull over. But the secret power of this story is when the man takes him to the next town, puts him in the inn, and says to the innkeeper, give him whatever he needs, and later on I will come back and I will settle the account with you. Meaning, I got this guy, I'm going to go away and handle my business, but when I come back, I will pay for everything that it costs for this man to be brought back to health. The secret power is that he had the ability to do that. He had enough margin and edge around his life so that it could overflow to actually help this man. Many of us are willing, but we have no margin in our life to actually do anything. Either because we're unwilling or we've been too generous with ourselves. Trust me, you're generous. But most of us are just generous to me. Nobody looks out for my best interests like me, and nobody looks out for your best interests like you. But so many of us are waiting for our next season of life to be generous. And the stakes are too high for us to wait. And you have enough right now to help the poor. I know this. I saw this with my own eyes, this kind of generosity this week. As I mentioned, we were meeting the pastor of this amazing church that houses the Compassion Project there. And we went over to his house and we brought gifts because we believe, I believe that you honor those who serve in the kingdom of God. And so we brought gifts for the pastor and his wife and his children. And he has a nine-year-old son named Anthony. And he and Jackson became very fast friends and, and they didn't even need an interpreter. Jackson would speak English and Anthony would speak Spanish. And it was just like they were communicating without actually communicating. It was, it was a beautiful thing to see. And so we were bringing a gift to Anthony. So I took Jackson to the store. And I'm like, what should we get him? Man, he's nine year old. What should we get him? It's like Lego. He didn't pray about it. He just knew Legos is the way to go. So we got a big thing of Legos. We put it in a suitcase. And we went to the pastor's house. And I'm giving the pastor the gift, his wife, and his older son. And then we pull out the box of Legos to give to Anthony. And Anthony takes it and he receives it. And then he immediately sets it down on the ground. And I'm like, uh-oh. Like, they don't do Legos here. Like, what, he doesn't like them. He had some. Well, I mean, what's the story? He, he disappears into a room. He comes back out with this package, these cars, these toy cars. There's probably 12 of them. And, and they're used, but they are in the box that they came in. All neatly arranged, just the way they would have come out of the box. And he hands it to Jackson. Now, here's what you need to know about Jackson. Jackson doesn't mind having things, but he loves getting things. So I'm like, bro, like that's not for you. He's not giving that to you. He's just showing you, like, don't let your heart attach to that. Like, be cool. Like, we're gonna have to leave that here. Like, be cool, dude. Don't embarrass me. Be cool. 
It's like I can see in his face, like, I'm loving these cars. I'm taking these cars home with them. And then I'm going to have to be like, no, you're leaving him. He's going to make a scene. And I'm going to be like, why did I bring him? It's going to be bad. And so they play for a while. The pastor and I talk. We just have a great time. It's time for us to leave. Jackson's still holding his cars. And we get ready to leave. And I'm like, dude, those are not yours. Put those down right now. Be cool, man. Be cool. And so he does. He's cool. He just sets him down. And Anthony, like, flares up. And he starts speaking Spanish real, real fast. And the interpreter's like, no, he's, he's giving those to Jackson. Now, I don't know. Maybe t- Anthony had a room in his house where it was just filled with toys. But based on the way that he took care of that one, all neatly arranged in the box that they came in, I doubt it. But Anthony didn't wait for a new season of his life when he had more to be generous. He had enough margin in his heart to give. But you'll have to fight to keep your margin because there is an enemy to generosity. And it's not greed. You'd think it'd be greed, but it's not greed. The enemy to generosity is fear. Because you start thinking about the future, you start thinking about down the road, what if, you start looking at your paycheck and you're like, I don't know if what's in this is enough for what might be out there in front of me. And you start being afraid of it. And so you start hoarding today based on what you're afraid of tomorrow. Greed is just a child of fear. And you'll have to fight off fear to be generous. I mean, think about the Israelites here in Leviticus chapter 19. The people that this law came to were born slaves. They didn't have anything to call their own. Slaves in Egypt. God rescues them through Moses, through signs and wonders, and delivers them. And where does he deliver them to? But to the wilderness. Oh, he's taking them to a land of promise where they're going to have fields and they're going to have a harvest one day. There's a long stretch in there where they live in the wilderness. You know what's in the wilderness? There's no food in the wilderness. So they went from being slaves and not having anything to call their own to living in the wilderness where there's no food. God miraculously provides food for them, the heavenly bread that just shows up in the morning on the ground. And at night, at dusk, God flies in this flock of quail and the quail just lay there in the middle of the camp and they take what they need for dinner. And every day, this is their process. So you would think that these people, they'd be like, man, we're headed to the promised land and when we get to the promised land, I'm not gonna be so dependent and needy Because it it feels terrible to live in that state, doesn't it? It feels terrible to live day by day by day by day. So the idea out in front of them that one day they're going to have the ability to provide for themselves. Man, you know that had to be appealing. But as God is making this promise, he's following up with the law. And he says, you're going to get a field. But here, right in the beginning, before you even have a field, you don't get all of it. Because you, my people, are my provision for the poor. So leave your margins and leave your edges. But you're not worried about food. At least most of us aren't. It's not a fear of a lack of food for us. I think for most of us, it's the fear that if we leave a margin and we don't spend that margin and edge on ourselves, that we won't have as much happiness as if if we did spend it on ourselves. 
But here's my word for you today, church. The people of God are not bankrupt of happiness because of their generosity. If you're worried today that if you are generous, one day down the line, you won't have enough to be happy, you will. You will. Because God is the provider of all of your resources and all of your happiness. Plus, what you already know is that spending the margins on yourself doesn't make you happier, does it? In fact, you have a lot of proof in your home, just like I do. Like this pouch right here. I love office supplies. Anybody else love office supplies, pens, pencils? Hands up. Come on. We all do. It's a beautiful thing. I love going to the store. If I just need a fresh start in life, I just go get some new pens. That's the way I do it. Some people need vacation. I just need Office Depot. But actually, that's a lie because I don't go to Office Depot because I'm too cool for Office Depot because where you can get the coolest office supplies, not Office Depot, that's where chumps shop. You go to Hobby Lobby because at Hobby Lobby, they got the cool stuff. They got the art stuff, man. So right after Amanda and I were married, our first year of marriage, I did a lot of stupid things in our first year of marriage. I was trying to become a man and a husband. I wasn't very good at it. And so uh, I was still in college and not contributing anything uh, to our life, as I already mentioned. And, uh, and so the semester starting, I need a fresh set of pens. I don't go to Hobby Lobby. I don't go to Walmart like a normal person. I go to uh, or I go to Hobby Lobby, you know, instead. And, and so I'm getting all kinds of cool pens. I'm like, maybe I should get like charcoal pencils because that would be cool. And nobody does that. And that'd be kind of unique. What, you know, and I'm, I'm filling up my car filled with all my stuff. And I see this pouch right here. And I like, I have to have it because it holds all your pencils. <laughs> For real. I mean, if you ever think I'm making stuff up, I'm not because this is proof. Like who owns one of these? Nobody does. <laughs> But I do. I was thinking to myself, man, how amazing will I look when I roll into class the first day, pull out my backpack, which is also cool, and I'm like, oh, my, my senior year of college, boom. Here's my pouch. What kind of utensil will I use today? Will I roll with just an old-fashioned, old-school number two? Because I got them. I got the sharpener right here. I got the sharpener. I bought one of those too. Will I go with the fancy Uniball Vision fine point? Will I use the fancy Uniball Vision thick point, point five? Will I use a mechanical pencil? Because I got one of those. Maybe I'll just go normal, just number, you know, just a regular blue pen. I, I, got the char- I bought the charcoal pencils. They're right here. They're 12 years old. I got them right here. So I remember the first day of class, I dropped this thing on the desk and I opened it up and I decided what pencil I was going to use. And everybody's looking around at my pouch and I, I never pulled it out of my backpack again. <laughs> but I still have it and I still use it. I mean, as you see, I still use it. Every day I wake up and I get ready for my day and I make the long walk from my bedroom to my office, which is on the other side of the house. And, uh, and this is sitting on my desk every day. And you know what I've never done? I've never walked into my office, looked at this black pouch and thought, 
That pouch makes me happy. <laughs> Just like you this morning didn't open up your closet, whether it's big or small. Look at all your clothes and go, man, these clothes make me so happy. In fact, for most of us, probably it was the opposite. You open up your closet and you're like, I hate these clothes. These clothes make me unhappy. And what would make me happy is to get rid of all these ones and buy a whole bunch of new ones. There are hundreds of things in your home that are testimony that when you spend the margins of your resources on yourself, it doesn't make you any happier. But for the poor, the edges around your life, the edges of your resources make all of the difference. Makes all the difference. And if you have ever believed me one time as your pastor, if you ever just believed me once, and I'm begging you, just believe me today, and you don't ever have to believe me ever again. But I'm telling you, the $39 to sponsor a Compassion International child makes all the difference to them. I have been in their homes, and I've seen it for myself. You've heard a real life, amazing, powerful story, so you don't have to take my word for it. That $39 makes all the difference to them. And for many of us, it won't make all the difference for you. That new pair of jeans, the happiness won't last. And you know that. That extra cup of coffee tastes good. If you got the money, get it. But it won't make you happy. So the challenge for us today down deep in our soul, not just today, but ongoing, is will I spend the extra in my life on me? Or will I make an eternal difference where it matters? You harvest the field that you have, whether it's big or small. But whether you are poor or you are rich, leave the edge and let it overflow into the life of someone else. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would create some margin in our hearts right now, some commitment. Pray that we would do the fighting that it takes to fight off fear, fight off ego and pride, to leave margin for ourselves, God. Lord, I know that you see so many willing hearts in here today. Could you just give us the courage to follow through? Can you create the space in our lives for generosity? God, we thank you for our fields, whether they're small or big. We want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards. So help us to steward that well. God, thank you for rescuing us today from just being about us and we're the most important people on the planet and we're the saviors and we're the everything and everything is about us. God, thank you for opening our eyes to the kingdom of God all the way around the world. We thank you for those mighty saints and warriors today who are fighting the good fight in El Salvador today and all around the world. We bless you as the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.